0: so, Ooh, Lord, my so Don't
1: know my trouble Don't know my trouble welcome to the radical reverend show and today it's all about policing in ontario and specifically of course we're doing follow-up on what happened Uh, with the demonstration last week with the multi-peoples movement. Uh, So do stay tuned. And also for the whole show, because in the second half of our show, we have doctors for defunding the police. So it'll be very, very interesting to talk to them as well about why doctors want to defund the police. And uh, what their take on it is, particularly in the midst of a pandemic. Um, also, want to give you out there in listener land the heads up we are coming into our fundraising time of year. So, uh, CIUT 89.5 FM continues to be the only alternative radio station in the GTA. Please support it. So important to have something other than mainstream media, uh, where, and of course, a place to get your information right from the front lines. And that's what we're going to do today, uh, welcoming back uh, Sarah and Wayne from the Malton People's Movement. Sarah and, and Wayne, welcome to the Radical Reverend Show.
0: Thank you for having us.
1: Let's start with you, Sarah. Uh, just give us the blow by blow of what happened at the demonstration.
0: Well, as you know, um, the SI verdict came back Uh, Clearing all the officers who had killed a Jazz Chaudhry, a 62-year-old man um, in Malton, who was experiencing a mental health crisis. Um, His balcony door was uh, knocked down. He was shot within seconds Mm -hmm. of his police interaction. Um, And yeah, it was just a travesty. And I think people felt that it was a clear-cut example of police wrongdoing. Uh, you know, he 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 was elderly. He was frail. He was confused. Uh, there was absolutely no reason the police could not have de-escalated that situation. Um, this happened last summer in June. Uh, the verdict came back uh, this uh, just earlier this week, uh, last week that um, the SIU found no grounds to charge any of the officers that were involved. So of course the the, the community was enraged. The family was enraged. They took to the streets in an organized way to. Uh, Let the police know and also let SIU know that they were, uh, the verdict was absolutely unacceptable, that the family needed justice. Um, And that's where Saturday's action started, where when people gathered around the block, um, supporters from all across the GTA, but also, of course, the community of Moulton.
1: So the demonstration happened last Saturday, um, and I've seen pictures, of course, on uh, social and also uh, some mainstream coverage of the event. Um, what happened when you gathered?
0: Well, we, you know, there was, it was a normal gathering of, um, of, of people speaking of the community coming out on the block. It was at Gorway and Morningstar. And then uh, protesters decided they want to start, start marching north. Um, And that's when they came up against a blockade of police who would not allow them to march on their own streets. Um, And of course, this is extremely frustrating. This is their neighborhood. It doesn't belong to the police. The police have no right to block people who live there. It is not their community. Um, And that's where the level of frustration, I think, really started to rise with no understanding of whose streets those are, actually. And maybe Wayne could step in to let everyone know what happened from there.
1: Of course, Wayne, I'm going to go to you now. Um, uh, one of the pictures I saw was very concerning. It was police with automatic weapons, masks. Uh, they looked formidable. Considering this was a peaceful demonstration, uh, you know, the, walking into that is, is in and of itself um, a, a kind of intimidation. Uh, what was your experience of the demonstration?
2: Well, honestly, it was, you know, considering the reason why people were gathering, it was a very beautiful uh, thing. Like, you know, when you see various community members that came out, uh, you know, like of various ages, you know, various ethnic background gathering and just support and support for the the Chaudhry family and for what happened. So, you know, when we were around there, we noticed that, you know, police officers were doing um, everything they possibly could to deter the awareness of the demonstration by blocking off various, various roads um, and I do find that they were doing that strategically in order to prevent people from joining us, which is what uh, we got feedback from, from people that were, you know, blocked away from having their cars come in. Uh, and also to build frustration uh, of within Malton residents towards uh, demonstrators. So I do think like, you know, the, the, the concern that I had, especially during that time was like, you know, they're, they're directly impacting people from expressing their constitutional rights in various ways. Um, and then on top of that, they're trying to build resentment within the Malta community towards people that are fighting for, for uh, these families. So what you see, how they're doing the most to hinder the goals that, you know, we would like to see done. Um, and then at the same time, simultaneously, not doing anything to help what the community is asking for. It's, it's very frustrating. And, you know, speaking about the march. Uh, yeah, it was very intimidating. It was very intimidating because here we are marching with signs and chants. And there they are standing with tasers, rubber bullets and, and, and guns and pistols, you know, so it's, it's always fearful going into that situation, especially me as a Black man myself, you know, we're known in, across Peel, across the GTA to always experience a more aggressive end of policing, you know what I mean? So, and a more violent Uh, 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 approaches so it was very concerning when you're walking into that you know my heart was was racing because you never know how it's going to go but we came there with the mindset that you know what we're going to be peaceful we're not going to be disturbing anything we're not going to be breaking anything that's our mo's since day one has been largely peaceful protests Um, so meeting with that kind of hesitation was very alarming
1: Yes, and just a, a little bit of background here. It's not just the, the one family. There have been some five murders and Peel Police are uh, particularly implicated uh, uh, for that kind of intimidation. I think uh, in the region, like 40% of the budget there goes to, to policing. Um, and I just want to uh, you know highlight out there in listener land where I'm speaking to Wayne and Sarah, um from molten people's movement uh that you know we have images too on social and mainstream media of police you know accompanying anti-maskers you know walking peacefully and they're actually helping them take over streets um so a little bit of a, a, a difference there uh, wayne i'm going to go back to you and just say uh, we also heard that there were arrests that came out of this what happened there
2: you know, well, to be honest, it, it was the police just acting like police officers. They seen, didn't want us marching a particular direction for whatever reason they may come up with. And they violently approached us. You know, they were attacking members. The lady had her, her hijab pulled off of her head by an aggressive officer. Another lady, I was told, had was kneed in her groin area uh, by a police officer. Um, uh, a man was pushed Um, on his throat with the officer, officer took his hand, put it around his neck and pushed him. Um, So these are the things that like, it was like, why? And then, you know, they, they were targeting people in the crowd. Um, And then as soon as one of them got, got detained, people, you know, were were expressing their frustration, you know, and then they started attacking other specific individuals.
1: I hear that one man that was arrested um, had a a child that, you know, when he was uh, taken into custody, the child was just left there um, underage. I mean, uh, to be looked after by the other demonstrators. Um, That's right. Yeah. Um, yeah. Continue, please. And tell us more.
0: That man was tased as well. So he was tased in front of his child. There is video footage of him being shoved by police. Um, yeah, it, it, you're right. Look, if you look at the disparity between how the anti-maskers were treated Um, and how these protesters were treated who were fully masked, right, who were spread out on the street, who understand that COVID is is also a health concern, but uh, police killings are also a health concern. And that's why they thought it was important to be on the street. Um, And to think about the way police are defining violence is pretty abhorrent as well. So we were looking at some of the media footage, sorry, some of the media reports that came out, Um, There was a Toronto Star article that quoted a police officer that said we uh, support peaceful protests, but once it turns violent, we have to respond. Violence, how? I, I think I really also want to caution the media to not take police quotes as fact. You know, the media is there to do their own assessment, to look on the ground, to see what's happening, to see that there are three or four, you know, police vans and multiple police cars. And as you said, Sherry, um, you know, weapons, uh, tactical teams for, for maybe 75, definitely under 100 community members who are unarmed with children in the crowd. Um, is, this a, is this a normal response? Like to frame that as violence as people getting upset is really uh, frustrating. You know, the police don't get to define what violence is. And I would really caution the media to do their jobs and look at what's happening on the ground. We have one commentator from CP24, Steve Ryan, who was on the ground, who was giving a completely biased commentary, talking about how the uh, protesters are now becoming violent. Steve Ryan himself actually is a former detective sergeant for the Toronto police. So CP24 really needs to reassess who they hire uh, to report on police violence. So that in itself is just, you know, uh, unacceptable. And I don't see how a media, uh, a, a corporate media um, uh, you know, conglomerate can say that they're being unbiased by having that type of reporting. Uh, they don't get to define what violence is. People on the ground can clearly see who's armed, who isn't, uh, who's doing the shoving, who's doing the pushing. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, a woman did have her hijab tugged and was arrested. Like this is outrageous behavior. Uh, they absolutely know how to de-escalate because we saw it on the very same day on a different Part of town um and that's not how how they were treated here
1: uh it, i mean it, it just sounds horrendous and, and keeping in mind again another uh, background to this is that 97 percent of uh, police violence uh complaints and killings um are uh, are you know not not followed up on not punished um not recognized by s uh siu so um, one of the demands of Malton People's Movement is to ban, the, uh, to really uh, eliminate that organization and have uh, non-police oversight. Um, so, Wayne, the people that were ales- uh, arrested, and this is uh, again speaking to the Malton People's Movement, Wayne and Sarah here on the Radical Reverend Show. If you're tuning in or on podcast, um, one of the one of the tactics that police use, and I'm glad of uh, Sarah that you raised the issue of. Uh, cp 24 hiring ex police officers as their reporters on police matters. Um, but one of the tactics police use, of course, is detention. Is they can hold somebody up for twenty uh, up to twenty four hours, right, without charging them. Um, so this is truly an act of intimidation. Um, what happened to those arrested? Do we have some follow up there? Um, yeah. So Wayne, if you could respond to that.
2: Yes, yeah, sir. There, there. I know there were charges being laid. I know, like. The charges were were laid was um obstruction of a peace officer and and um, the deter- this uh, disturbance of the peace or something, something along those lines um, that was largely you know what I mean utilized. I know they they also try to um I I don't that that's in summary as as to what the charges that I can personally confirm. Um, and yes, you're correct. Like they did hold us there, you know, uh, strategically you know, to break people up, you know, and to prevent people from, you know what I mean, uh, continuing the demonstration, you know, and that was obviously done for a reason because, you know, the peop- people that were detained were, were held for, you know, various of a long period of time um, with no justifiable reason. Uh, they try to blame it on, you know, lack of, you know, resources um, because they had, I guess, a lot of officers on the ground, which doesn't make sense for the, again, for the amount of people that were there. And for the overall approach that the protesters were taking of peacefully marching, so, so it is um, it was strategically done for them to try to detain people as long as possible um, and to be on, as combative, at, you know what I mean, as as much as they can. Because you know, I'm glad to be brought up the anti-maskers because you can see when there's some sort of goal, I, I do think that maybe the police even share uh, some of the approach, the, the value sets of the anti-maskers. Because even some of the police officers that I've observed weren't wearing masks themselves. So I'm not surprised to see that they were in some sort of cahoots with the anti-maskers. But when it comes to our values, the values that the community is expressed, which is the concern of policing, which is the concern of overly, you know, aggressive tactics that led to the death of multiple individuals with mental health in their homes or by their residences or, you know what I mean, no matter what the, the, call, the, the emergency call was, with, uh, you know, and the concern of naming officers, getting their faces out there right like that is the real uh contrast that police have when it comes to our value set, and ultimately why they acted so so problematic because we got to look at things in the broader you know not to rear too much off topic but we got to look at things from the broader political context right we see like when we contrast our neighbor we constantly compare ourselves to to us very frequently and you know i'm pretty sure everybody's seen uh, the recent uh, uh, killing of um, Don, uh, Dante Wright, right? And we've seen how that happened, where an officer mistaken, a taser for a gun, again, killed another Black individual. And a few days later, literally a few days later after the incident, we have the officer, they have, the U.S. has the officer's name, the officer charged with manslaughter, the officer's mugshot, and the officer is off the force, all within the course of a couple of days, right? And, you, and when you get the name, you get the face, you're also able to access that officer's history. And then you find that that officer had a horrible history. So I'm not surprised that officers are doing everything they can to combat our goals, because I guarantee that they're afraid of what we couldn't cover. And we already found things like that when we linked one of the, the officers to uh, having Brown Boy, uh, Proud Boys uh, affiliation. The, you know, the, the group that's been officially categorized as a terrorist group. And we wouldn't have known that if we didn't know the officer's name. Right. So it, it, it is again it go, to go back to your question. It, they are strategically trying to uh, block us in various ways. And those ways are not just about our goals, but also the awareness that we're trying to build towards our goals, which is why we why demonstrations are being held
1: i um, speaking mm-hmm. here to Wayne and Sarah from the Molten Pe- uh, People's Movement and speaking specifically about a demonstration that was uh, targeted by uh, police uh, last Saturday. Uh, a demonstration that was around the unjustified killing uh, and then the subsequent uh, finding of innocence, let's put it that way, um, of the police officer's uh, officer or officers, we don't know, who uh, carried that killing out. And, and the family themselves, I'm mean, going to go back to you, Sarah, um, the family themselves, I mean, last... Last uh, week when I had you on, we were talking about how, you know, there was no recompense even for, you know, shooting up their apartment. Um, nobody came in and helped paint or do anything. I mean, uh, so this is kind of insult after, you know, gross injury. Um, uh, and the community went in, of course, t- to help. Uh, uh, so what, you know, what is the next step here, just in terms of that particular family and getting some kind of justice?
0: I believe that, you know, I just want to backtrack a little bit to the charges, and I believe that uh, wrapping protesters up with charges is one of the strategies to keep us from supporting the family. Like, you know, if we are now tied up in court dates and trying to figure out how to get these, like, you know, ridiculous um, mischief charges dropped, um, we can't be supporting the family. And a huge part of supporting the family was making Making sure that they were compensated because the breadwinner of the home is now gone. Um, There are two children in the wake. Uh, They are trying to move out of their apartment. They would love to have a nice home, a proper space for them to be. Um, And we've called on the mayors and people with decision making power to make sure that these families are taken care of, to say uh, the police are are, 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 uh, the role of the police Mm -hmm. is to do the state's work and the state, the city. The province has a responsibility now um, to make sure that victims of that work are taken care of. Um, but when protesters are wrapped up, you know, this is this is a strategy to shut down protesters, to shut down any organizing. And when people were taken that night to the police division twenty one, um, you know, people were still energized. Actually, people moved from the block and went to the police station, and there was a call out for supporters to make sure that we don't want our people in there for twenty four hours. We need them out tonight. Um, so there were supporters that came from far and wide, from Toronto, from multiple other um, organizers, uh, organizing organizations, like activist organizations to support. Um, and I think that was a really powerful show to police that you're actually not intimidating people, you're emboldening people. People were outraged. Um, I would say that that crowd was bigger than the original protest that stuck around to make sure that um, you know our people were let go. And it's interesting that after they were eventually let go because uh, protesters stood their ground and came out from every corner of the city, uh, the, the police decided to publish the names of those arrested for mischief charges. Can you imagine for mischief charges to publish their names? Meanwhile, we can't even get the names of the officers who killed these people. I mean, that is one of the core demands. Of, um, of the families. Like just let us know who these people are. They may still be in our communities. We don't feel safe around them. Like it's such a, such a core demand. And yet it took moments. They, they decided to publish the names of these uh, protesters. And I, I again, it's an attempt to intimidate. It's an attempt to say, if you keep doing this it'll destroy your careers, but they don't understand they're actually making heroes. They're actually creating heroes and even more leaders out of the community. Nobody's afraid of them. Um, And you can see that that, that's what's happening. The movement is growing. That's
1: wonderful. Um, Something good coming out of something horrific. Um, uh, You mentioned uh, trying to approach politicians in your area, including the mayor. Have have there been any responses?
0: Uh, You know, one of the calls for the protest was for politicians to come out. We would like to see the police chief come out. We would have liked to see the mayor come out. That's what protesters were asking for in Moulton, to to have a discussion about how to move forward. We didn't hear from anybody, of course. Um, You know, we we do understand uh, as activists who are opposed to carceral systems that there are limitations to institutional avenues, right? However, we also understand that those are conversations that have to happen. so this is what families have been asking for, to speak to the SIU director now, because we would like to speak to him face-to-face and ask him how he has allowed our, our, our family members to just be killed in vain. Um, these are some of the demands that were clearly put out on the leaflets that were uh, g- given out on the, on the day of the protest and, and what we've heard from families. I mean, all of this has been done with collaboration with families.
1: So Wayne, to get back to you, looking ahead now in our last few minutes, uh, and speaking again to the Malton People's Movement, Sarah and Wayne uh, spoke to them last week before the demonstration, and we've all seen on social or on mainstream media um, that a peaceful demonstration uh, was broken up by police uh, intimidation, and people were arrested. Um, again, just uh, standing up for for families in their midst who have been the subjects of police violence. Um, Wayne, what's next for the Malton People's Movement?
2: Well, what's next is, you know, we keep trying to put hold these people accountable. Um, for example, you know, we could, we're trying to hold Chief Nish, uh, although I hate calling him chief, so I'll reverse that. I'll just, uh, that head officer uh, Nish, that, you know, after an SIU finalizes their verdict, within law, the chief of police is supposed to perform their own internal investigation, which police officers... Have to be fully compliant with, who has and he has access to all the police officers' notes by law. So, in essence, he has the ability to, re- to conduct an internal investigation better than the SIU because not even the SIU can demand the officer's notes. The chief of police can, right? And he's supposed to conduct his own personal review. Of the situation regarding that re- that uh, led to the SIU's mandate being evoked into the conduct of its police officers and the services they offer. That report is supposed to be due within thirty days. So that was one of the demands that we were asking as well. Why? Because we want to see that hey, they make all these colorful statements of, of that you know these situations are sad that they happen and that you know they're they're you know they wish that there was another way. Well, let's see how there is how they could deploy that. Let's see what they learned, right? So that's why we want to see that kind of report that the police chief is is supposed to be doing within the 30 days because we have yet to see any of it. So at least have the respect to acknowledge saying, hey, you know what? Our officers could have done this, this better. Let's see what kind of feedback he has. Let's see what he uncovers. But for some reason, even from Chantal Krukka's report, which is what we were requesting from the mayors previously, we still haven't got access to that. We still haven't got access, and it, it's public. It, it's a, it's there's no um, law that barricades it from being accessible to the public. So we haven't got any information regarding the chief of police's uh, internal review of all these matters that happened to the families that were, you know, harmed drastically by Peel Region Police. So that's obviously one of the next steps, and that's why we have to hold them accountable, of course. And there's a there's a specific reason why people want to have that kind of you know, discussion with the director. The, it, it, all of this falls, the director has the final say. Even when we are reading the cases, we could see how there's contradictions in some of the reports. If, you, if anyone ex- examined Jamal Francique's report, you could see that there was time discrepancies where there was like four hour gaps between when he was shot and when he received medical attention. Um, it, it's, so all this was by under his review. So there's questions. There's serious questions as to how are these things happening within a, within a, a report that's produced by an entity such as the SIU that has such blatant discrepancies, um, as well as various aspects that they don't incorporate anti racist lens within their investigation. So there's specific reasons why those two individuals specifically are targeted, why those two individuals are specifically being requested, and you know that's. That's what we are demanding for at this time. That's what the community is demanding for at this time is, you know, holding these members accountable, you know, and that's how we're going about doing it. And also trying to get the family the compensation that they need, as, as Sarah mentioned, is that you know, they, they need housing. They incurred huge expenses, you know, covering funeral, funeral expenses. And some of these people have kids, you know, so it's and we, we we're not even touching the issue as to what kind of mental health, what kind of counseling they're gonna need. To deal with these kind of things especially when at, at present time their children don't even know who the killer of of their family relative is so they could be walking this to, to to anywhere in life and look at any peel regional police officer and constantly have that in the back of the mind could you imagine how traumatizing that is so these are the things that we're demanding for and for very good reasons
1: thank you uh, wayne and and uh sarah we just have under a minute left um, talking to the multan People's Movement about, of course, not only the killings that police have been involved with and the fact that they've been uh, let off from those killings, um, the family, but also the demonstration and the fact that it was broken up by police and people were arrested for peacefully demonstrating. Why do you think, um, Sarah, that, uh, um, you know, there seems to be some action in the United States on uh, on police violence, and yet we are really not doing much of anything in Ontario, in Toronto, in the GTA. Why?
0: Well, I think part of it is what Wayne alluded to, is that we constantly hold the United States up in comparison and say, well, it's not that bad. It's not that bad. And in fact, even when we were at um, the police station, you know, during, we had live stream going and some commentators were saying, well, you want to be the US so badly. <laughs> we're like, in fact, we don't. This is precisely what we were trying to avoid. We do not want to get to that level of violence. So I, I think that is one barrier is that people think it's not that bad, except when it's their own family member, I would urge them to not wait till it happens to somebody that they know. Um, you know. And I also uh, think that we we have a, a warped view of our history with slavery and Indigenous genocide. And you know, Canadians still don't understand the roots of police violence. Um, we think that, they, that it can be reformed. We don't understand how, you know, carceral systems work. Um, and that's been a real barrier. But I, I, I will say that it's changing. It's definitely changing. Um, you know, every protest that happens, more people come out, uh, more people show support, more people donate. So that wave is turning absolutely 100%.
1: Thank you so much for being on the Radical Reverend Show, uh, Wayne and Sarah from Alton People's Movement. We will definitely keep our listeners up to date on what's happening. Please feel free to call me if there's some other action that's going to take place. Uh, until next time, solidarity. Thank you. back to the radical reverend show uh and certainly if there's any way you can support the molten people's movement please do out there in listener land and just uh, another shout out we're going into fundraising season at ciut 89.5 fm the last alternative radio station left in the gta so uh, do support them and of course uh uh, all things uh, Radical reverent. <laughs> so now I'm delighted to have Doctors for Defunding the Police, an organization that I met, I think, at first on Twitter. I saw your presence on Twitter. And here to talk about them is Samir Bule, who's a, a medical student and, uh, and going to talk all about that organization. And Samir, you're at U of T?
3: I'm at U of i yeah. I'm one of the co-founders of Doctors for Defunding the Police.
1: Well, thank you. It's an honor to have you on the show. Um, so, so let's talk about that. Why doctors defunding the police?
3: That is a great question. The perfect place to start. So to answer that question properly, what, what we're seeing, so a lot of us are from the community, a lot of the doctors are part of this group. What we're trying to say, what we've been seeing is the health and taking care of our patients doesn't just end the second they step out of our office. If the issues that are impacting our patients and the things that are impacting them majority and like the most impact are the things that are impact the quality of your life, their health care, their home life, their what is going on in their communities. And what we're trying to say is, if we are not standing up for our patients and going to where what is causing them the most issues, then we are failing as a society and as doctors. And, if we're not doing that, we are breaking the trust barrier that we've been trying so hard to get over. And you could see everything going on with COVID and vaccine hesitancy and what's going on with these communities. It's, there's a broken trust that we've been trying to fix, and the way to fix it is getting to the ground. And what we're trying to say is we need to align with the people who are fighting for their communities. We're aligning with the people who are fighting for their lives, and we are going to reiterate what they're saying.
1: I mean, this is so encouraging, I think, for a lot of people out there to hear you speak like that. And I want to ask you about you. But first, a couple of things just happened uh, that really speak to this issue. Uh, Number one, uh, I was just kind of live tweeting through a press conference at Queen's Park where they announced, of course, the latest shutdown measures. And then you you hear, and I worked with this woman for 12 years. It's shocking, truly. Um, I mean, we never agreed politically, obviously, but uh, I was shocked to hear her as a Solicitor General, uh, say that, you know, one of the answers to the pandemic is more police and more policing. Um, and, I, and all I could think of is this is the last thing that communities that are at high risk need is more policing. Maybe speak to that first, Samir.
3: This, this is bringing back Harding. This is, this is the definition of just bringing back a practice that we've seen and has existed in Toronto in the past. Just for a little background, I grew up on the west side of the city in the Rexdale community. And if I told you the amount of times when I turned 15 or 16 and started driving and the amount of times the police would just pull you over just to say, hey, what are you doing? What's going on? Oh, it's a nice time of night. It it would it would shock you because when you give people carte blanche immunity to do whatever they want to a community, what you get is a foreign occupying force. You get a group that doesn't have to adhere to the same rules as everybody else. They don't actually have to report to the community. To be completely honest, in Toronto specifically, 75% of the police that work in Toronto don't even live in the city. They have no connections to the community. And every time we see how they abuse us, how they treat us, we are the other. And what we are trying to say is, you can't solve a public health crisis with policing. You can't solve the issues in, of poverty and racialized violence and just everything with policing. When, the way we put it is, if you have a hammer, everything looks like a nail. And the police are a group of, like, their tool is violence. They were not taught de-escalation or how to really benefit communities or social bonds. And if we don't understand that and talk about that fully, then we're missing the point.
1: Absolutely. Speaking here to uh, Samir Buleh, who's a medical student and one of the co-founders of uh, Doctors for Def- Defunding uh, Police. Um, uh, the other thing that happened today that I, I noticed, again, I heard through the news on social social media, was poli- Peel Police. And I just had uh, uh, the Malton People's Movement on, as you know. Um, and uh, here they were, pictures of them on social media, helping anti- an anti-vaxxer demonstration, hugging them. A gym that was refusing to close, for example, um, in the midst of, you know, a third wave pandemic. The same people who uh, have been, you know, basically, let's say it, have murdered people in the community um, and who broke up a peaceful demonstration last Saturday. So these yep. are these are now circulating on social media. And by the way, the officers were not wearing masks You know, just the cherry on that Sunday. I mean, Samir, talk to us.
3: Look, this is, I I saw the video this morning. We tweeted about it. We were talking about it. This this is insane. The journalists, so for those who didn't know, a a journalist came up uh, and asked. There's an anti-vaxxer gym that was open and there was police standing there without a mask. And the anti-maskers go up to the journalists, yelling in tongues, getting in their face, uh, doing some crazy stuff. And the journalist comes back and says, whoa, chill, what's going on? The policeman then intervenes and says, hey, you're agitating the anti, basically, the journalist is agitating the anti-maskers. And that is the problem you need to back up. There is a huge problem with that whole situation and how it breaks down in the idea of freedom to protest. Masking, and that is what police are protecting. But when we we protested a lot last summer, we were in the streets asking for justice for Jazz Chaudhry, for Regis Cortesie Baquet. for we were when they were doing the the um, the deputation meetings. They had a deputations in 23 Division where we had we were outside their, their house, um, the the police station every single day, every single time they're having a deputation. What did the police do? They would find ways to corral people or do things to arrest them. We had episodes where we were standing all night outside of police stations asking to get protesters out because the police took them in and wouldn't tell us where they are. Like, this is insane. The, like, the way that the police decide to police certain communities versus others. I grew up in Rexdale. I'm now a doctor. I'm, we make, I'm easily millionaire. Like, this is the money we get. I work with everyone in Rosedale. You do not see the police active in Rosedale the way you see them in Rexdale. Not even close. It's not, there's a reason why We know Black people and white people do drugs at the exact same rate. Like, it is not, there's no difference. But here, when you have the police in this community just walking around, looking for crime, trying to find an issue, what do you think they're going to find? Like, these are the problems that we're trying to say. You cannot have a group that does not function to actually make communities safe. As the answer to every issue for society. And that's what we keep seeing with our conservative governments, even with our liberal governments per se, it's the idea of just a continued force, an idea of force, like these are, we need to look over these communities, these communities can't deal with themselves, they can't help themselves. And it's sad, it's terrible, and it needs to stop.
1: Yeah, I, I, and uh, absolutely, I mean the social determinants of health we've known for ages are you know, lack of housing, lack of opportunity, you know, etc. Um, and policing has never been the answer to that. Um, I also want to talk about, you know, this kind of myth, and of course it's a certain, it's certainly a myth, that Canadians somehow are better than Americans, somehow are less racist than Americans, even though we have, of course, our genocidal Indigenous history, that continues. Um, uh, you know, he even that though that's our history, and we have a history of slavery, which Canadians don't seem to want to. You know, acknowledge, um, but e- even worse now. It's almost like we're worse than Americans in addressing this problem. Mm-hmm. I mean, we could not in our city council get ten percent taken off the police budget. In fact, we gave them more money. We gave them money for body cameras so they could now photograph. You know, the violence. You know, um, rather than uh, rather than defund them. And yet, it's you know, defunding has happened in American uh, locales even more than defunding. You know, here, you know, looking at Peel police, for example, but here where SIU, you know, forgives about 97% of police violence, um, down there we see police, you know, being arrested, being charged now south of the border for murder, being forced to resign, um, and really importantly, named. We don't even know. I mean, the victims of police violence here don't even know their names. Um, so, what is what is this Canadian weirdness that we have that we we don't see our own, um, you know, systemic racism? We and 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 certainly where police are concerned, we have this whole other outlook on them than than most Americans.
3: Yeah, this this is it's like a hangover. Honestly, complete. It's it's like. We, we, we were talking about how I was talking to my friends earlier about how the CBC does such a, a horrible job of reporting about the racism that actually exists in Canada when they always talk about what's going on in America and the big new shooting, what's going on, and never connecting to. Never connecting that, okay, there's racism in America. And here in Canada, this is the exact same situation going on. When George Floyd was happening, Regis Corchensi Paquette was happening here at the exact same time. We have an insulated type of information bubble or media, I guess, where there's certain populations that just do not absorb this information. And they, they do not know the facts on the ground. Like they do not know that on in 2018, the Ontario human rights tribunal came back and said, black people in Toronto get shot 20 times at the rate of white people. If you had that stat in reverse, would we have any discussion about the the function of police in society? Like we have statistics that show 43% of all women in prison are indigenous. What is going on? Indigenous people are less a couple of percentage of the population. What are we doing to these communities? What is going on on the ground and why aren't we solving it? We see with the press conferences today. We see all of Doug Ford going off about adding policing to solve the issues in these communities. And we know who's getting sick. It's the essential workers and the people there. If this keeps happening and we don't see a way out of this, what do you think happens to these communities? What do you like? They put their head deeper and deeper into the ground. They don't trust the government. They just get dejected from society. There's no way to bring them back in. There's no way to show them there's a future where we have an integrated thing for all of us. Like, that's the beauty about Canada. That's the thing. Like, my parents are refugees. The idea that we came here for, apparently, was that. If you work, if you do your best, if you are good in society, then you do good. That is absolutely not true. That is absolutely farthest from the truth. I grew up with kids in elementary school that were smarter than me, would do better than me, tried their hardest. But every single thing in society, in those communities, is trying to pick you off. The way we have set up society and the way we have just forgotten about these communities, economically, spiritually, like you just don't care what happens to these communities. Then this is what we get. This is what we get. We get, a, we get a, a two-tiered, we have a two-tiered society. We have a society where Doug Ford ended his um, speech with saying, um, we will get through this, my friends. We will do our best and we will get through this. And I come from the bottom side that says, well, what do you mean we will get through this? We've been dying. We know they're dying. I've, my friends are dying. My friend's parents are dying. How, how is this, where is this going? Racism is ingrained in this society we like we like we don't know about as an Ethiopian when you come here you do not know what like you're in Africa you do not know what being black is until you're shown this system our parent our family was put through the, the ringer and they show you what being black is not not given the chances showing that you're less than inherently that is what the society does it's not it is not something that is here all around the world this is not a, a thing that exists it is in western society that there is a tinge of just hey, these people are less than, therefore we treat them like this.
1: Yeah, uh, speaking here to um, Samir Boulay, he's the co-founder of Doctors for Defunding the Police. And um, and first of all, thank you for that. Um, and thank you for, you know, we don't normally think of our medical personnel as being activists. So thank you for being an activist. <clears throat> and, and I guess I want to talk about that a little bit too, because... Um, because we have, you know, you're getting to see sort of, you know, medical staff on sides here, right? Um, and you've got the talking heads, the talking medical heads who, who, uh, you know, support Ford and whatever he's doing. Um, you know that we're all in it together, folk. Um, and oh, don't worry, you know, uh, business as usual. Uh, I mean, first of all, I mean, just the measures that were announced today, of course, do not go far enough, you know, um, and neither have they gone far enough since the beginning of the pandemic. Um, and, uh, and these, these ridiculous things that I think are are inherently racist of, oh, just stay at home. Well, like you're going to tell somebody to stay at home when they take the bus to their essential job, because if they don't work, their children are not going to eat and their rent is not going to be paid. Like, yeah, tell them to stay home or tell people in long-term care where they're dying at home, stay at home. I mean, so, so this is inherently, these are inherently, it seems to me racist messages that are health tinged right so we're really seeing in the pandemic racism in in, in, in full flower here um, so what do we do Samir talk to me <laughs> you know, like you know like how do we first of all like we are dying like I'm starting to use the hashtag Ontario is dying like mm-hmm. you know um, what I mean we're, we're all kind of you're all in lockdown those of us are privileged enough to be in lockdown um, but I mean what do we do? What do we do to confront this?
3: This is the real question, right? This is the million dollar question. This is what we've all been trying to ask. Like I was, everyone's on Twitter today. Like you see on the Doug Ford press conference, it's, it's just a wallow of depression. Everyone's like, what's next? You see some of the top doctors saying like, this is it. Like, this is like, we've lost Ontario. This is, uh, there's no leadership anymore. But, but to me, right? Like, to me and someone who came from these communities and understood that, like there was no, these people, Doug Ford is from my district. Doug Ford represents like Rexdale. Like that's where he's from. So like, to me, this is common. This is not, this is normal. This is what we expected. So yes, it's cool that I'm seeing that some people are hopefully getting it. Like some top, I'm talking about doctors. I'm shouting out to some of the top doctors that are, that have been in the COVID stuff, but never realizing how ingrained, racism and systemic barriers to opportunities have been in this whole system. But at the same time, the way to get out of this is not just a couple people realizing that, okay, we're all on this side. We all want the same things. We all want our families to do better. We all want to be healthy. We all want to live in the same, a good country. That's what we all want. What we really need to do is figure out ways to organize and connect and create grassroots connections that are unbreakable. Like we are talking about what we, like some of the stuff that came out of uh, COVID-19 has been unbelievable and we don't talk about it. Caremongering has been something that came out of, um, inter- it's been national, like worldwide, but in Toronto it started here and it's a mutual aid organization with more than 25,000 people here where people who are, need things, uh, people who have extra get to those who need and just figuring out ways to patch the holes in society. The government has completely forgotten. If, With these types of institutions and and infrastructure, there have been organizations built on top of it and connections built around it. What we're trying to say, what we really are starting to see, is people have to get involved at every level of. Not politics, but organized of community, of society. You need to be involved in your neighborhood neighborhood community, your food bank, your religious organization, your community group. You need to be in touch with what is going on in the ground and, and who are the most at risk within your community because those are your people. If, if your neighbor is doing bad, you are doing bad. That is the essence that we are trying to bring out. And if we create, start creating these grassroots connections, which we have, ex- like, I can't believe some of the connections we've been making around Canada and like it it, like even this connection just warms my heart, right? These connections, if they can be reinforced and strengthened and given actual push, then maybe then like maybe we can start having some voices on these stages of like real community advocates, real community people, not doctors and lawyers and and and, like business people talking for like the, the normal person. We're talking about letting the normal person speak for themselves. Like, we, we have such a paternalistic view on the people on the bottom rungs of society. Do you know in the communities in Toronto, neighborhoods making under the low income is under $32,000? 50% of people that live in low-income neighborhoods have a post-secondary education degree. What like These people are educated. They are ready. They can do more. We need to just invest in them, invest in the infrastructure on the, on the ground. No more top-down on everything. And let, let's really scale up what's been going on. And let's see if we can change society.
1: Yeah, you're listening to the Radical Reverend show here, either on podcast or in CIUT. And speaking to Samir Bulle, who uh, was one of the co-founders of uh, Doctors for Defunding the Police, I want to get back to the police issue. Um, I had some intimate experience with you know, police as, as part of first responders. I actually started working um, on behalf of paramedics, but brought in um, a bill that finally the government uh, acted on uh, to make PTSD a workplace injury for first responders. And so it covered firefighters, covered police, uh, ultimately covered everybody. So for a brief while there, I was kind of a hero, right? <laughs> and then when I talked about defunding the police, uh, which just seemed uh-huh. obvious, immediately got attacked by them. And and I have to say that, you You know, people don't understand and, and, you know, especially white people, I'm speaking here as a white woman, um, don't get how terrifying that can be. I mean, I was a street kid as a kid, so I lived on the street. So I understood from that experience that the police are not your friend. But for a lot of white people police, they see police as their friend. And I guess in a sense, they are because we live in racism, right? <laughs> but but I mean, if you, you find yourself on the margins in any way, shape or form, and you see that they're not, there is nothing more terrifying. These people have guns. Right? <laughs> you know, like, it's hard to explain. And, you know, who are you going to call for help if the police is your enemy, right? Um, so, uh, so that's what we're talking about. So, Um, but people have this real resistance when you talk about defunding, never mind abolishing the police, but defunding the police, right? Um, So core demand of Black Lives Matter, everybody wants to use Black Lives Matter, you know, hashtag BLM everybody wants to use it, everybody's using it but when you actually say, yeah, but do you and I have this, you know, in my congregation yeah, but that, you know what that means? It means defunding, it means taking away money from them and giving it to something else, then all of a sudden people start backing up a little bit So, so talk to me about how we can get the message out that you know you really are safer if you have less police and the money goes to like mental health or you know housing or something, right?
3: Right. Like that that is the main point that we've been trying to say this whole time. I I don't think people really understand anything about the police budget in Toronto or even Canada at all. Like in Toronto by itself, 1.27 billion dollars. 10% 10% of the city budget. 89% of that budget is just salaries, like for about 4,000 something officers. Like this isn't a thing that we like the numbers don't make sense. When you think about like the last 20 years, you look at crime, right? You you think cops would reduce crime. That is the main thing that we have police for. You have doctors to increase your health, you have cops to reduce crime, right? Very simple. If you look in the last 20, 30 years in the crime rates, and then you look at the funding for police. Completely not correlated whatsoever. Not correlated in the slightest. Every year, the police budget goes up four to five percent. Crime rates go wherever they want, and we cut social spending. pretty much, like a little percentage there too. When we do this over and over and over and over again, we create those stratas in society where some people who are part of the people who have wealth and part of the people who are protected by the police can call the police. Because the police protect private property. That is what they are for. That is what they've always been for. Anything else, you're actually ridiculous. You don't understand what police is about. If they're there to protect private property and a bunch of people are just poor and like, a study just came out, 52% of people in Canada live $200 away from not being able to afford their bills. Like the majority of Canadians are on the line. It's just, we've had so much propaganda and so much, you know, the longest running show in the world in uh, North America is Cops. Cops is the longest running show. Like It's propaganda just put in your head that the police are there to save you. They do detective crime. If, If anything goes bad, who else are you gonna call? They won't, like, you're not safe. But what no one understands is the police are not proactive. They do not stop crime. They are reactive. They come after a crime is committed and they write down the notes. Their clearance rates for burglaries are in the single percentage rates. They don't solve the crimes that you think they do. What people think they do is, oh, they're a deterrent because they're standing on the corner and making things safe. I feel safe when they're there. That is not something that we can, that is not a reason to have police. Like that is not a functional aspect of what they're doing. You feel safer because they're on the corner, but when we ask you what they functionally do or the statistics around what they actually do and you don't understand them, there is a clear disconnect between the function, the actual function of the police, what they do in Rexdale, what they do in my communities, where they card people and do nothing productive, very little productive. They actually are very negative to these kids. They're leading kids towards a path of like, it's the looking glass self, right? I got pulled over like probably one year over 16 times. The idea of being a criminal, you think you're a criminal because they're stopping you all the time. That is the problem in these communities. We can't, what what, what white, uh, again, white people who do not talk, like police are family members to them. They're in their communities. They're part of their social networks but to us and to those who are given the full brunt of their when no one's watching this is unacceptable now you're seeing some of the cameras come out and you see the people dying here and there but in between the trauma is every single day it's not just the killings once in a while what we we're trying to tell you guys is everyday interaction with the police are traumatizing to the entire community because when a shooting happens or a police we hear about what the police are doing all the parents are on are like on Red Alert! All the immigrant parents are watching. Everyone's not going to sleep. Everyone is stressed out. You're creating trauma psychologically that you are not fathoming. I am going like my psychiatry is where I'm going. That's my that's my path. They do not understand the psychological trauma they've caused these communities and the cost that that actually has on the economics of our country because you are destroying these communities. And I feel like if those if that was actually measured and if you wanted to do that properly, that we wouldn't even have these discussions. These discussions are so 40, 50 years ago, like they're that old that we would move on.
1: Yeah. So Samir, I want to like, because you're, you're especially now, now that I know you're going into psychiatry, very interesting. Um, so I want to talk to you just briefly. We don't have a lot of time left about just racism in the medical world, because I know for a fact that not, we don't have to go back very far bef- before there were quotas. There were quotas at, at, for Toronto at University of Toronto for medical students for women for Jews for Asians for you name it. For like you know I I mean this you're walking into that profession you're gonna be working in that profession and especially in psychiatry where you know that psychiatry has been used exactly in racist ways and in class based ways. So talk to me about that in the few minutes we have left
3: that is the most that is everything right it's the absurdity of going into this i think psychiatry has been the worst i think psychiatry is actually the worst specialty for institutionalizing and using medicine as a way to take people out of their communities and destroy families that is what psychiatry has been historically and i'm saying this as someone who will be a psychiatrist it has been used to destroy communities simple point blank period for example in the 1960s, there's something uh, when civil rights was going, civil rights era. There's something called protest psychosis. They would, they would, from black men between the ages of 18 to 34, would be locked up because they would be having something called protest psychosis. Eventually, that ended up turning into schizophrenia. The, we use whatever language and medical terminology to give the effect in society that we want. Medicine, medicine overall, Indian hospitals, the, everything has been colonial. Everything Everything has been used to give wealth and power. I mean, as a
1: queer woman, I mean, LGBTQ2 plus people. I mean, talk about psychiatry to them. One of my bills was banning conversion therapy. And I couldn't believe the number of psychiatrists that were still practicing conversion therapy when, you know, sort of lift the lid on it. And that was, you know, my goodness, that was 2015. That was six years ago like that. Mm -hmm. And, And it's still going on, right?
3: They're still doing it today. They will not stop. We had doctors. Uh, I have a black uh, resident friend. She's a psychiatrist. She talks about having one of her lectures. The psychiatrist lecturing all of U of T Medicine, all of U of T Psychiatry on um, PTSD and, and what can make P- what manifests in PTSD. And she's talking about sexual trauma, violence. Those are basically the two things she sees. And then then uh, my friend says, Wait, what about racial trauma and combined gener- like overgenerational generational trauma over and over. She's like. Yeah, the studies are coming out, but we don't really know if that really affects them. Like, And this is the problem, right? This is the gatekeeping we have. These people that do not actually read the literature even want to get into these communities, but they're the gatekeepers. They're the ones with the power in the city, right? They're the ones that control the idea of psychiatry. And that is not going to happen anymore. There's a generation coming up of doctors like us that are not going for this. We, are going to, we want to burn that institution down. We don't think that any type of thing where... The idea of emergency psychiatry is wild, what they do to the people there. And the idea that you institutionalize people when they're out of their crisis. We have to figure out what, what, what broke, what broke in their communities, what broke at home, and fix it there. Not in our hospitals. That is the key to everything. Fixing things where they happen and in the home. No, no more institutionalizing people. Everything has to change.
1: Well, thank you. I've been speaking to Samir Boulay, uh from U of T and uh, co-founder of of Doctors for Defunding the Police, and it's been an absolute pleasure. It's not the last time. I want you back on because we're going to be talking about healthcare more um, and uh, its components. What else do we talk about these days? Um, and uh, uh, and absolutely. Um, so thank you so much, Samir, for all you're doing and for being on the show and uh, and out there in listener land. If you got questions, uh, anything, please uh, always send them in i always answer to any mail and uh and samir will definitely have you back on so take care till next time on the radical reverend show bye
3: take care